0: stories are Resilient listeners. My name is Jennifer Chambers, and I'm your host here at the Resilient Podcast Network. It was nice to have a little break for spring break where we were. And today I thought we'd start by talking about the um, wonderful author Beverly Cleary, who just passed recently. I was lucky enough to write about Beverly Cleary in one of my books, and I thought I would tell you guys a little bit about her life story today. I'm also going to uh, speak about Ursula Le Guin, who is another famed Oregon author. Two spots on the Portland Walk of the Heroines are occupied by world-renowned authors and favored Native daughters, Beverly Cleary and Ursula Le Guin. A book by Beverly Cleary is almost required reading for American grade schools. She is the author of over 30 books for children and young adults and has received numerous, numerous awards. Eileen Cooper wrote in the book list, when it comes to writing books, kids love. Nobody does it better. There's actually a um, really wonderful, uh, this is a sidebar here, there's a really wonderful show that just came out on Oregon Public Broadcasting about Beverly Cleary's life story, and I very much recommend it. Beverly Cleary was born in 1916 in McMinnville, Oregon. What is so interesting about Cleary is that the writer herself struggled in childhood to read from her birth on April 12th, 1916 to about the age of six. The family lived in Yamhill, which is a minuscule town or was a minuscule town at the time, halfway between Portland, Oregon, and the coast of Oregon. The town was too small to have its own library. So Beverly's mother instead arranged to have books sent to them via the state library system. And Beverly Cleary learned to love books eventually. When they moved to Portland, the new reading teacher selected Beverly to be in the low reading group. Now, their family had been had lived on a farm before. Uh, Beverly Cleary really has been described as, as having her companions be the farm on which she lived um, and running around on the farm. And that was part of what was difficult for her out there, was that she was really the only little kid that she knew. So it was hard for her. But once she was presented with more books all the time, Uh, she eventually one day, kind of the light bulb moment hit her. And uh, she had been in the low reading group for a short time, but then she eventually became a really good reader. Before that, though, she'd had a hard time with her new first grade teacher, and, and she was also frequently ill. And so that compounded her difficulty with reading. But then in second grade, she was placed with a teacher that was really sympathetic to her. And in third grade, Her love of of books just really blossomed and exploded. In her biography, she says, "'By the third grade, she had conquered reading "'and spent much of her childhood either with her books "'or on her way to and from the public library.'" The experience with the library and the encouraging librarian made her believe that she could write books for children herself. She was very much encouraged by that one wonderful teacher. And then in high school, she got several awards and was encouraged by her high school teachers to become a writer and have that for her career. Her college years were spent at the Chaffee College in California, the University of California, Berkeley, and the University of Washington, Seattle, where she studied library science. She met her husband, Clarence Cleary, while at Berkeley, and the two married in 1940. Her career as a librarian would inform her writing. While she was at the checkout desk, she would often hear kids asking for books about kids like themselves. Her stories of real, modern children would be told in her books, from Ramona Quimby, age 8, to those books about Henry Huggins, Ellen Tebbets, and others. Her later series, Ralph S. Mouse, was popular. And eventually, her book *Dear Mr. Henshaw* won the 1984 John Newbery Medal. Now, the story about Ralph S. Mouse is a funny one, because she got the inspiration for Ralph from a um, a mouse that was nearby and in the yard. It was trapped in her neighbor's yard, and she was looking at the mouse. And then her children at the time had had a bunch of toys on the floor. And one of her boys had a motorcycle and she started to think how funny it would be. The mouse is just the right size to ride that motorcycle. So Ralph decided to ride the motorcycle in her head. And so it was. And so she wrote several books about Ralph. (laughs) Now, uh, Beverly Cleary won the Laura Ingalls Wilder Award for her books in 1975 and the Catholic Library Association's Regina Medal of 1980 and many, many others. In 2000, the U.S. Congress named her a living legend, and she got an award from the president. Today, you can visit the most wonderful sculpture garden in Portland, with many of her characters realized in bronze. Or you can visit the former Holly Road Fenwood School, which has been renamed the Beverly Cleary School in 2008, which she once attended. There is actually a. um, There's several different walking courses that you can go on that trace many of the sites that that Beverly used in her books. And the Multnomah County Library even commissioned a map of Henry Huggins Clickitat Street, which you can see as you come in on the lobby wall. I very much, as I say, I recommend the um, the biography if you get a chance, and the the film on OPB. She's a a national hero, and really the woman who who made children's literature into something that was not for children realized as adults, but for children realized as children. And her, her work is just absolutely invaluable. Now, writers like Neil Gaiman and Salman Rushdie count Oregon author Ursula Le Guin as an influence. She was a National Book Award Foundation Medal winner, And she has written futuristic alternative science fiction, of course, that has changed the roles and really changed the rules to reinvent the genre. Some of her books has been print for over 40 years. Newsweek wrote about Ursula Le Guin, and they said she wields her pen with a moral and psychological sophistication rarely seen. And while science fiction techniques often buttress her stories, they rarely take them over. What she really does is write fables, splendidly intricate and hugely imaginative tales about such mundane concerns as life, death, love, and sex. Ursula Le Guin is very private in her personal life. She was born Ursula Krober to a famous anthropologist, Alfred L. Krober, and the writer Theodora Krober, author of Ishii and the Inland Whale. Her college years were spent at Radcliffe College in Columbia University, and Ursula won a Fulbright scholarship to study in France. She and Charles Le Guin were married in 1963 in France, and then they returned to the United States, where the first two of their children were born in Idaho. Now their third child was born after they moved to Portland. Ursula said on her website about writing while having small children, It was tough trying to keep writing while bringing up three kids, but my husband was totally in it with me, and so it worked out fine. The Le Guin's rule one person cannot do two full time jobs, but two persons can do three full time jobs if they honestly share the work. Though retired from teaching now, Le Guin has lectured all over the world, of course, and now her appearances are mostly based on the west coast of the United States. She has written seven books of poetry, 22 novels, over 100 short stories collected in 11 volumes four collections of essays, 12 books for children, and four volumes of translation. And I believe she had a book that just came out here in, this is 2021, in April. Her best known works are the Earthsea Chronicles, which is an Iron Age society fantasy in 13 short stories and five novels. Each of those books received a literary award. Her Hamish science fiction series in eight books Won five national awards, including the Hugo, the Nebula, the Locus, and the Endeavor Awards. I haven't read those. I'm looking forward to it. The Library Journal wrote about her Her worlds are haunting psychological visions, molded with firm artistry. But not many of her works have been adapted for film or television. She retains the right to produce them, was convinced to allow the Japanese filmmaker Hayao Miyazaki to film. The Tales from Earthsea, as an animated movie in 2006. I've heard that has good reviews, actually. Themes in her work include environmentalism in both poetry and prose. She explores her own Taoist and anarchist ideas in her work, notably in her, her work The Dispossessed. The idea of anarchism to her is a necessary ideal at the very least. It is an ideal without which we couldn't go on. If you were asking me, is anarchism at this point a practical movement? Well, then, you get in the question of, where do you try to do it? And who's living on your boundary? Le Guin continues to push boundaries and craft lyrical work for children, adults, and scholars. An excerpt from her work, Cheek by Jowl, talks and essays on why fantasy matters, puts it very well. Quote, In reinventing the world of intense, unpredictable, local knowledge, seemingly by a denial or evasion of current reality, fantasists are perhaps trying to assert and explore a larger reality than we now allow ourselves. They are trying to restore the sense, to regain the knowledge, that there is somewhere else, anywhere else, where other people may live another kind of life. The literature of the imagination, even when tragic, is reassuring. And necessarily in the sense of offering nostalgic comfort, but because it offers a world large enough to contain alternatives and therefore offers hope. I encourage you to check out the work of both of those authors, and we are so proud to count them as Oregon Natives. Now, the world might be coming back to normal, but if you're anything like me, we're still spending a whole lot of time at home, and I have. Uh, A lot of experience in that as a person who, uh, due to my disability, has a hard time leaving sometimes. So getting groceries is kind of both more important and it can be harder. But with Instacart, it's easy to shop from your favorite retailers online, and then you get everything you need delivered at a time that works for you. It's actually super easy. You can use the app or you can visit instacart.com to shop from all your favorite retailers and kind of browse online online. You can get your groceries and more delivered in as fast as two hours. It can be stuff like household essentials, office supplies, or even alcohol available through Instacart. And then it's contactless delivery, so you can have your grocery bags just safely left at your doorstep. How it works. I was a little confused because I live in a rural area. I wasn't sure how it was going to happen. But all you have to do is download the app or visit instacart.com to find your favorite retailers. Then you search and add the items to your cart. When you're ready to check out, you select a delivery time that works for you. And then a personal shopper gets your items ready, chooses all the goods with care, just like you would. And in a few taps, you can get everything you need delivered right to your doorstep. Right now, there is a promo code. It's 30OFF3NEW. That is 30OFF3NEW. This will get you $10 off your first three Instacart orders of minimum $35 and up. And this is good through the 11th of April. All you have to do is sign up through the link in the show notes here. The promo code is only available in the United States for first customers, new customers only. It ends 4-11-21 while supplies last. I have two other stories today. The first is The Legend of the Bridge of the Gods. This is from a book called With Her Own Wings. It is a story that is originally published in Myths and Legends of the Pacific Northwest in 1910. And it is a, it's a native story. So this is a translation. Legend of the Bridge of the Gods. In the long ago, Ta'i Saheli, the great spirit, came down the river of the west with two of his sons, Clickitat. And Waist. Clickitat spoke into the silence of the sky. This is a beautiful country. I should like my grandchildren to possess it. Waist also spoke. And I should like my grandchildren to live here always. It shall be as you wish, decreed Saheli. Watch, Clickitat, as the arrow flies. Saheli pulled his drawstring and let an arrow fly to the north of the river. There, Clickitat, is a land for you, your children, and your grandchildren. Then Saheli placed another arrow and let loose her bowstring. This arrow fell to the south of the great river. Why, East, he said, your land shall be to the south of this river, where we now stand. The bridge which I have built over the river shall be for travel, back and forth. Your people may use the bridge as long as there be peace between you. And those who wish to make petition of me may reach the heavens by it. May the bridge be lasting, and the peace long. Saheli then put Lewit, an old woman, ugly and wrinkled, to guard the bridge. The tribes of Klickitat and Waisd grew, but some of the people did evil things, which made the earth grow cold. Lewit alone had fire, and she kept it burning day and night. Lewit was ugly to see, but she had a kind heart, and wished to share the warmth of the fire with the natives who had no fires in their lodges. Often she pleaded with Saheli, Great Spirit! Why can we not share fire with the people? It will keep them warm in the winter and cook their food. Great spirit, let me give the people fire to use. After a long time, Sahili told Lewitt that she might give fire to the people of Klickitat and Waist. Lewitt's wrinkled face shook with pleasure. She quickly lit a torch from the fire she kept heaped with wood and ran first to the north and then to the south. The people on both sides of the river at last had fire to keep them warm and cook their food they paid homage to Lewitt for her gift. And Saheli said to her, Lewitt, you have done well. You have done your duty. You have kept the fire burning on the bridge. You did not give it away until I gave permission. What reward would there be for your faithfulness? Great spirit, replied Lewitt, one thing only I would ask, that I might be young and beautiful. Beauty of a youthful body I may give you, said Saheli, but a youthful spirit I cannot. You shall have physical beauty. Lewat at once became beautiful to see. Her skin was smooth, her hair lustrous, and all who passed over the bridge were moved by the sight of her. Clickitat and Waist, more than all others, were delighted with her beauty, and both fell in love with her. Each became jealous of the other, and both sought her attentions. They began to quarrel. The peace was ended. Sehali had decreed that with the end of the peace the bridge would fall, and it did. With great rumblings and thunderous crashes, the bridge of the gods fell into the river. Tall trees were buried in the water, and rocks as large as mountains fell by the water's edge. Lewitt did not perish, but became a white mountain, beautiful to see and young appearing, but the oldest of them all. Clickitat and Waist also became mountains, tall and white. As time passed, people began to call Lewitt Mount St. Helens. Clickitat they called Mount Adams— And why east they called Mount Hood. The great river they speak of here is the Columbia. And when you go along the river, you can still see where the Bridge of the Gods used to be. Of course, now, in modern times, there is a new Bridge of the Gods in the heart of the Columbia River Gorge. It's a huge, 1858-foot-long steel truss bridge that spans the Columbia River at the Cascade Locks. Now, according to the Oregon Encyclopedia, the legend or the story that I I just retold is it derives its name from a much larger bridge of the gods that covered a part of the Columbia River in about 1450 AD. The earlier bridge was a blockage caused by the Bonneville landslide headed on the southern escarpment of the Table Mountain on the Washington side and filled the Columbia River Valley with more than five square miles of debris up to 400 feet thick. The oral tradition, of course, of the Klickitat legend of the Bridge of the Gods tells how people could cross the river without getting their feet wet. Reportedly, the river was dammed up at this place, which caused the waters to rise to a great height far above, and that after cutting a passage through the impending mass down to its present bed, the rapids first came. The rapids then became known as the Cascade Rapid, sometimes called the Cascades of the Columbia. It's a set of really rocky rapids that go and descend about 600 yards and about 30 feet over about the next eight miles. So the Cascade Locks and Canal were finished in 1896. The, the river was narrowed, but it created prime fishing spots that supported the Cascades and Chinookian people who settled in the vicinity of the landslide. The Cascade Rapids was a pretty big navigation hurdle. It provided ideal location for the bridge and the Bonneville Dam. And there that's a whole separate story. <laughs> the Bonneville Dam and the Cascade Locks. But it's interesting, and the the reason why I related it was because the Clickitat Street that Beverly Cleary talks about comes from the Clickitat people, who are very real people that lived here. And there are many more legends from the Clickitat people, but I thought that one was was fun and appropriate. And I, I, of course, don't take any credit for it. This is a legend that I retold from a story that I read. And I look forward to doing more research about the Klickitat people myself. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Why don't you try using Buzzsprout? Buzzsprout is who I use, who this podcast is through. And um, by using the code in my show notes today, you could get $20 Amazon gift cards sent after your second paid invoice. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show could be online and listed in all the major podcast directories. I'm talking places like Apple, Spotify, Google, and more, even Pandora, within minutes of finishing your recording. Podcasting, it really isn't that hard. You just have to have the right partners. And I found the team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping me succeed. And I know they'll be passionate about helping you succeed too. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get your message out into the world. Use the code in our show notes today, and you get a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan. It also helps support our show. You can have audio players that you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics, and more. Really, start with some gear you already have, a quiet space, and start with Buzzsprout today. Thanks for joining us today. It was really fun to talk about Beverly Cleary and Ursula Le Guin and to relate the story of the click people. It's been a, a very nice spring and I feel like the, you know, there might be a light at the end of the tunnel for everyone. I'm hoping to showcase some of that positivity in my work. And uh, I do encourage you all to come check out the You Are Resilient website. I have a free class that's coming up, a free webinar and then I'm doing a, um, a class series coming up too. So please sign up. And as always, if you have any emails or feedback for the show, go ahead and email them to the email address on the website. Have a great, great week. Be resilient out there. Thanks for listening. Sometimes have to start over Sometimes we have to fight back Sometimes it's all too much Lost in inside the black